Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Lee Phillips with me, and Lee has been in the real estate investing business as an attorney for over 40 years. He's a Supreme Court counselor, and I really can't thank you enough, Lee, for being with me here today. And Lee has a mini course that he's offering everybody, so go to legalese.com slash mini course, and I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But Lee, I really, like I said, I appreciate you giving us a moment and uh, unwrapping everything and everything to doing with corporations and LLCs and everything in between. Well, it's great to be with you, Jack. I appreciate you having me. So I'm going to put you on the spot right away because the the first thing that people ask, typically, I'm sure you hear it all the time. What should I do? I'm a, I'm getting into real estate investing and there's S-Corps and LLCs and everything associated. What entity should I be considering or forming when well, I'm starting make real estate? podcast really short, okay, Jack? Okay. You're going to use an LLC, end of discussion. I don't care about the land trust. I don't care about the corporations. I don't care about the family limited partnerships. I don't care about any of it anymore. The LLC, which is a limited liability company, not a corporation, limited liability company, is by far the most flexible tool. It's the strongest asset protection tool. You can't get any better than that. And you're going to use it. You're going to put your real estate investment in it. And getting it in it is an issue. And then how you operate it is an issue. And how many LLCs you have is an issue. The gurus say, oh, you need 50 LLCs. You got 50 properties. And years ago, two doctors from California called me up and these two doctors, they get me on the phone and they say, Lee, our attorney, he was using limited partnerships, which was about as good as we had before LLCs. By the way, you didn't hear about an LLC until about 2006. But at any rate, these two doctors get me on the phone and they say, Phillips, we've got 53 properties down in Long Beach and the attorney guy has given us 53 individual limited partnerships. And he only charged us 500 or excuse me, $5,000. That's $5,000 per limited partnership. Okay. And he said, you really want your LLC in my state, which was a mis or not your LLC, your limited partnership in my state. By the way, I'm not only an attorney. He says, I'm also an accountant. I'll do all the accounting work for you. you. I'll act as the registered agent. You doctors, you're really busy and I'm only going to charge you 1500 bucks, 1500 bucks per limited partnership. So start to do the math on 53 of these things. In fact, the two doctors get me on the phone and they say, Phillips, we're not worried about asset protection. We don't have any assets anymore. Our attorney has them all. How do we get out of this? And so don't go overboard. For example, I know a lot of people who have 10 pieces of property and maybe three LLCs. So you're not going to go overboard. You can't manage more than three or four of these LLC things and make them work for you, make them give you the asset protection. So 
don't go overboard, okay? No, rule number one. Rule number two, where do you form your L? A lot of guys are going around saying, oh, you got to do it in Wyoming. You got to do it in Nevada. There's a big group going around to say, you do it in Utah. I'm a lawyer in Utah. I don't know why anybody would want an LLC in Utah unless you were in Utah. So the rule is, and should I give it to you in French? I don't give a damn what all of these guys are saying. It's all BS. You will have the LC in the state where the property is located. End of discussion. I've, in 300 people, I've said to maybe two or three of them, yeah, do one in Wyoming. They were doing stuff in every state. They were doing this and that and the other. The answer is, if you're a real estate investor and you've got property in Ohio, your LLC is going to be in Ohio end of discussion. Now, if you've got some in Ohio and some in Florida, then maybe we're going to have, and you've got to have presence in both states. You could have your Ohio LLC and register it in Florida. But the catch is you got to pay just as much for the registered Florida deal as you do if you set up a whole nother LLC in Florida. Problem is you got to file a tax return for Ohio and Florida now. You got to file a tax return in Florida anyway. You're always going to pay the tax in the state where you make the money. Wyoming, Nevada, they're not going to save you a dime in taxes, guys. I got news for you. And they're not going to give you any privacy. And you don't have to go to Nevada to get sued. Florida has a specific law. Most states do. Which say, if it's a Nevada LLC or corporation or whatever it is, we're going to apply Florida law. You're going to get sued in Florida. The judge is going to be in Florida. They're going to, everything is going to be in Florida. Has no relevance to what you do in Wyoming or Nevada. You can't give me a reason why you have a Nevada or a Wyoming else. Oh, it's privacy. Oh, I know privacy. I got news for you guys. Had a guy call me up and he wanted me to actually do some legal work. And I kept proposing these things and he kept saying, no, I can't do that. I'm off the grid. I'm private. Nobody knows who I am. Finally, I threw up my hands and I said, give me the address of one of your properties. I don't care if it's in an LLC or a corporation or a land trust. I don't care how it's titled. Give me an address. So he gave me an address. And I will admit that lawyers have access to databases that the general public doesn't. And I will admit that cost me 60 bucks. But I ran this guy down. I had every checking account he'd have ever had. I had every property he had. I, I could tell him whether it was in an LLC. I could tell him whether it was in a land trust. I could tell him everything about it. I didn't care how the land trust was named or anything else. And I had 30 pages print out on this. I faxed these 30 pages to him. This was the old days before he scanned them. And didn't hear back from him. Two days later, the guy gets me on the phone and he says, okay, anonymity doesn't work. Now, what do we do? You can use a land trust. I don't care. That doesn't do any damage, but it isn't going to give you any asset protection. It isn't going to give you any tax benefit. And it isn't going to give you any privacy either. I've got news for you guys. I was actually in a seminar, an IT seminar a while back. They took a guy out of the audience. He was real. And they told him what brand of underwear he's wearing. 
We've got access to your credit card statement. We've got access to everything. So, you know, let's go with the LLC. It actually gives you superior asset protection. No, there's no privacy, but it protects the assets. And it's cool the way it protects the assets. In fact, it gives you twice, double the asset protection of a corporation. That's pretty good. You get twice the asset protection of a corporation. You get twice the asset protection of a limited partnership. It's cool. So you're going to go with the LLC. And by the way, let's talk about how you're going to organize your LLC. We've talked that it's going to be organized in the state where the property exists. How's it going to be? I don't know. The cool thing about an LLC is you get to decide how it's going to be taxed. And so you get to choose. People come up to me all the time and they say, Lee, I've got an LLC. And I say, great. How do you tax it? I don't know. If the IRS is taking 20, 30, 40% of everything you're making, don't you think maybe you ought to figure out how they're getting it and how you have this animal taxed is going to make a difference as to the actual tax that you pay. So you've got to get the taxing structure right. Now, LLC was created in 1977 in Wyoming. And the first question that came up is, how are we going to tax this thing? And they went off to the IRS and said, okay, how do you want us to tax? And the IRS said, 20 years lead. The IRS came back and said, we don't care how you tax it. You choose how you tax, okay? We don't care. Tax it any way you want. You can tax it as a sole proprietorship. You use your social security number. You file a Schedule E as a real estate investor. Schedule C as a little business guy. You can have it taxed as a partnership. Got to have a partner. Now, that could be husband or wife in many states. In the common law states, I can have husband or wife. In the community property states, husband and wife are considered one legal entity. So um, I can't have husband and wife. You're going to have to put a kid on. And the question always is, how much do I give the kid? There's no law about it. You've just got to treat the kid as a real partner. Does he get his share? Does she get her share of the, of the partnership earnings or the profit losses? Do you invite them to the meetings? Are they a real part? That's going to be the question. You can have it taxed as a partnership. You can have it taxed under subchapter S of the IRS code. You can have it taxed under chapter C of the IRS code. Now, wait a minute. We've got subchapter S corporations and we've got C corporations. You can have an LLC taxed under subchapter S or an LLC taxed under chapter C. The IRS does not know whether you have a corporation or an LLC. It's something that's hard for people to grasp. But the legal structure is the LLC or the corporation. The taxation, the way you deal with the IRS in the IRS's eyes, you are taxed under subchapter S or chapter C or as a partnership. They don't know you have an LLC. They don't care. The words LLC never occur in the tax code. So it doesn't matter, but 
it does make a big difference in the way that you're making your money. If you are a passive renter, long-term rents, passive income, right? Then you want to be taxed as a sole proprietorship. We actually call it a disregarded entity because it's just your social security number and you file a schedule E or you want it taxed as a partnership. Got to have a partner. Now, if you're doing flips and stuff, you want it taxed under subchapter S because I can take a reasonable salary out of the subchapter S and then I can make a distribution to myself of the rest of the earnings. And that saves me the Social Security FICA, if you do all that crap, the 15.3% on the distribution portion. Now, wait a minute. There is a trick, though. The trick is I want it taxed as a partnership or I want it taxed under subchapter S. I do not want it taxed as a sole proprietorship. It has nothing to do with how much taxes you pay. Here's the secret. The secret is in order for the IRS to audit a partnership or a subchapter S entity, the auditor has to have an accounting degree. Less than 3% of the auditors in the IRS have an accounting degree. That means every auditor can audit the Schedule E, Schedule C, 1040 the disregarded entity if it's an LLC. But less than 3% of the auditors can audit a partnership or a sub-S. Did that help you out, guys? You like that one, Jack? Yeah, that was that's especially interesting. In fact, out of all of the guests I've had, nobody has ever explained it like that. So, Well, if it's, huh? I have a former special agent, special auditor for the IRS, and I have the former head of the Western Division of the IRS in my office. So I'm some inside information that most people don't understand. Sure. One of, one of the things that you mentioned that regarding the asset protection, and it can be double what it would be traditionally in, in other scenarios, I would guess, and this is just me making a guess now, that there are some rules that we have to adhere to, to in order to make that happen. Could you cover well, some of those rules that, that we need to... We can, let me explain the two types of asset protection that come with an LLC, okay? Okay, that'd be great. The corporate shield protects me from what happens out in the company. That's the corporate shield. Corporation has the corporate shield. Protects me from, what, from the tenant slip and fall and that sort of stuff. The LLC has another asset protection which protects the assets of the company from what happens to me, the owner of the company. And you're going, well, yeah, what does that mean? Well, let me explain. In the 2008, 10, 12, whatever it is, real estate bubble burst, I saw clients lose 30 pieces of property. One piece of property would go bad and it could be in a corporation. I don't care. The piece of property goes bad. And the bank takes it back and they sell it, but there's a deficiency. So they come to the owner for the deficiency. What does the owner own? The owner owns another piece of property in his own name or in a corporation, or it doesn't matter, but he owns another piece of property. So they come to that piece of property. They seize that piece of property. 
they sell it, there's still a deficiency. And so they just dominoed on down and real estate investors lost everything. The corporate shield didn't help, even though the corporation owned the piece of property. Wait a minute. They can't come and get the owner for something that happens in the company, right? It's true. However, I will guarantee you signed the mortgage on that piece of property person. The bank will never accept a corporate guarantee unless you're IBM. They made the owner, you, sign the mortgage. So the corporate shield doesn't protect me from this liability of the mortgage. So they come to me personally. Now they've got everything I own. If I have an LLC that owns the second piece of property, the law says that they get a judgment against me. They take all of my assets. I declare bankruptcy. How do they get the property that's in the LLC? They can't. The law says that they have to go back to court after they get a judgment against me. They have to go back to court and get an order which charges this debt against the LLC. It's called a charging order. And what the charging order says is that if I lose my interest, my share of the LLC, my creditor can't come in and manage that LLC. They can't take any of the money out of the LLC. They stand in my economic shoes is what we say. So if the LLC declares a profit, my creditor gets it. I don't get it anymore. They stand in my economic shoes, but they can't manage this asset. They can't get the asset. It isn't theirs. That's very different than if it were in a corporation or if it were in my name. When they come to me because the mortgage fails, then they've got what I have. I have stock in my corporation. They take my stock. They now own the corporation and all the assets of the corporation. That's very different than the LLC because they can't come and get the assets. They can't get my stock. They have an economic lien against the LLC for the debt that I owe. But this is cool asset protection, guys. I still manage this LLC. They can't tell me what to do. And so I go to them and say, hey, look, guys, I'm going to declare a profit in this LLC. You ain't going to get much out of me. I owe you a hundred thousand. I'll tell you what, I'll, why don't we settle for six grand? And they really don't have much choice at that point. So the LLC gives you this, what we call charging order protection. They get an order which charges me, the owner's debt against the LLC, but they can't take away my ownership. They can't affect the LLC at all. That's pretty cool, guys. And I've seen a lot more people, assets in their company, assets in their name, their LLC, than I have people be sued because the tenant slips and falls. So what I'm saying is this charging order protection is a lot more important than the corporate shield to many people. Yeah, the corporate shield helps. Now you ask the question, Jack, do I have to do stuff 
in order to make it so I get the asset protection? And the answer is yes. And this is why you can't have 50 LLCs because you can't do the management of each LLC. The corporate shield is the identical corporate shield that you get in a corporation. In the corporate law, we've said, okay, you need to follow these formalities. The real argument, when, you, when I sue you, when I get you into court, the real argument is, your honor, this whole company thing, it's a scam. It's just Jack reincarnated. It's his alter ego is what we call it. And the way you show me that it is not your alter ego, as you say, I didn't commingle my money. I held my meetings. I issued the stock. I did this. There are about 16, 18 things that you need to do in order to establish under our traditions that this is a real company. You held it at arm's length. If you treated it like a real company and I'm suing you, then I have to treat it like a real company. If you treated it like your alter ego, I don't have to treat it like a real company. I can sue you directly because it's really you just reincarnated. So, yes, we have to do these management things. That's for the corporate shield. Now, you do not have to do anything to get the charging order protection. It doesn't have these formalities. The argument isn't, your honor, this isn't a real company. This is just all regal. The sheer fact that you set it up, establish this, that established the charging order protection. And this backdoor lawsuit through the owner can't come and get the property. Does that help? Yeah, it does make, it clarifies quite a bit when it comes to this. One of the other things that, and if you don't mind me asking, is that I've also heard that there is, you mentioned having an LLC in each of the states that you're hold, having holding properties. Is there any benefit of having a parent company then in Wyoming that holds the interests for you in these? You're getting a, I'm getting a shaking ahead already. No, there really isn't. In fact, I don't generally like, in theory, you could have a Wyoming LLC, which is private. And your name's not on the records in Wyoming. Then the Wyoming LLC could be the mother company for the LLC in Ohio and in Florida. In theory, I don't know who owns this Ohio LLC then because it's owned by a stealth Wyoming LLC. It gives you about that much asset protection when I've got this much that I'm, I'm going to get on you, okay? So you get that much more. Is it worth the cost and the problem of going to Wyoming and setting it up? I don't think so, personally. The other issue is if I can't the mother company, the holding company, then I get, by definition, all of the companies underneath. I've now tied all of my holdings together into one place. Would rather have to make it so you had to go after this one, separate from this one, separate from this one, separate from this one. But where I have a holding company that comes up to the mother company, then if I can attack the mother company, I've got the rest of them. Can you see it? And what I see is I see lawyers make corporation up here and then have LLCs down here. Stupidest thing in the world. Because I'm going to attack you personally. I get the stock in your corporation. I now own this corporation, which by definition means I own all of the LLCs. 
I don't care about charging or projection. Can you see how it worked, Jack? Yeah, I can see. Let me, that, let that, me. That, that's really interesting because that is a strategy that I hear repeated time and time again as well. I'm going to tell you that it's put forth by the guy who's making money on the Wyoming LLC or the Nevada LLC or the Utah LLC or whatever it is. I'm going to tell you that it's not put forth by any attorney in Florida or any attorney in Ohio. Just isn't going to happen. And there's that much anonymity, but I can tie you to this piece of property 10 ways to breakfast. Do you pay the insurance? Who pays the taxes? I've got you on 10 different counts. Who filed for the, uh, the building permit when we did the rehab? Who did? The, you're tied to this property six ways. And in today's computer age, we can just bring all of those up and we know who you are. Does your tenant know who you are? Probably. You could have a third-party management company. And yeah, you don't want your name splashed all over everything. I've got properties. And I dress up like a scumball, which I am. And then, then I go down and I do some maintenance or whatever. But I say, Candy from the management company sent me down to do this. I don't say, oh, I'm the owner. So yeah, anonymity is nice. And you don't want a high profile. You want to keep a low profile. Let me make one more point on the charging orders before we get going too far. There are a number of states, about 15 now, that require two members, two owners of the LLC in order to get the charging order protection. So you got to have two. It's from the old English. It's from the origination of the, of the concept of charging order. 400 years ago in England, the only business structure there was a partnership. So Jack and I, we go into business together and we build a beautiful business. I screw up and my creditor comes in, they get my membership interest or my, excuse me, my partnership interest. And by definition, the new partner, they can come in. They don't need Jack's approval, nothing. They just sell the partnership. Now, wait a minute. Jack just lost his whole life's work because of something that I did. That's not fair. And the Brits said, yeah, that's not fair. So they passed this law, which said that when they get judgment against me, they have to go back to court and get an order which charges our partnership with the debt. So this concept of charging orders actually came from partnerships. And so we've had a number of cases. The kind of the definitive one was head down in Florida. Mr. Olmstead's a dirty dude. He embezzles tens of millions of dollars from Floridians. And the government gets him, throws him in jail. And they say, see all that money over there? Bring it back. Now, Mr. Olmstead has read the law in Florida. The law in Florida says the only remedy that the creditor of a member has against the LC is a charging order. So Mr. Olmstead says, screw you, go get a charging order. And by the way, how often do you think I'm going to declare a profit sitting in jail? You're never going to get any of that money. And he told the Supreme Court justices in Florida to go pound sand. Have you been to Florida, Jack? <laughs> There's a lot of sand. There's a lot of sand in Florida. <laughs> Supreme Court justices in Florida pay an interest in pounding sand. So they scratched the little noodle and they said, okay, 
this original concept of charging order stuff, it wasn't to protect Lee. It was to protect Jane. Mr. Olmstead, you don't got any Jane. This is a single member LLC. Screw you. Henceforth and forever in Florida, you have to have two owners to get charging order protected. And about 15 states have adopted that same attitude. But you can okay. see where it comes from. It isn't to protect me. It isn't to protect Mr. Olmstead. It's to protect the other partner who is unfairly going to lose because the other partner got in trouble. See it? Yep, I see it. So going back to your concept then of having an LLC per state for those properties that are residing there, is there a limited, is there amount of value that you might want to have multiple LLCs within that state or does it matter? What you're doing is you're breaking up assets and putting them in different baskets, okay? If I have three baskets, I can walk down the street with them. If I've got 30 baskets, I probably can't get down the street with them. It's just overwhelmed. But if I've got, and my, this says, let's look at a million dollars per LLC, million dollars in it. Would it be worth hiring somebody to protect my million dollars? Yeah. Maybe we could get a secretary to help us do the legwork, the accounting work, all this crap for each one of these LLCs. So yeah, I say my rule of thumb is if I've got a million bucks and you divide them up logically, you divide Ohio and Florida, you divide the strip mall out of the section eights and you divide the section eights out of the high-end tree rentals that you got. So can you understand where we're going? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Make a so. logical division and lump them together. And yeah, those three properties, those three section eights are all at risk if one of them goes down because they're in the same LLC. How much are you willing to lose? You could have a separate LLC for each one of them. But you do have to go through all of these things. You have to file tax returns. You have to do all this crap for each one of the LLCs. Now, if you've got enough money in it, fine. Let's hire somebody. Their job is to take care of these LLCs. There's, do it in reason, okay? Be reasonable. Understand mm -hmm. that's not really logic in today's society in a lot of cases. People seem to be doing really unreasonable things these days. But, but be reasonable, okay? Is there anything that we should be aware of that you see as a common mistake people make when forming an LLC that we should just make sure we're aware of? The biggest mistake I see people make is falling for the Nevada, the Wyoming, the Utah, whatever it is. That's the biggest mistake I see people make in LLCs. And you cannot find me, one of your billion podcast listeners, that will call in and say, it saved my butt to have my LLC in Wyoming. There isn't going to be anybody do that, Jack. So I see that mistake. The other is the wrong taxation structure. And I, I will just tell you, I run into people all the time. They're doing real estate. They've got a C entity. It's taxed under chapter C. It's a corporation or it's an LLC. And I'm going to tell you 99.99% .99 of the time, if you have a C structure and you're doing real estate, even if you have a C structure and you're doing a little business today, you need a new account. You mentioned the difference between flippers and rental properties. Let's say you're a company and you're doing both. 
if you have rental properties and a flipping business, should you have separate LLCs for both of those strategies? Yes, I think you should, because the taxation of the long-term rental is passive income. The taxation of the flips is going to be ordinary income, non-passive income. It's tax, excuse me, it's tax totally different. So I'm doing it for the taxation issues and the risk issues. You probably got more risk in the flips than you do the long-term rentals. And I've had the same lady in one of my long-term rentals for 25 years now. I'm probably not going to get sued by her, but if I'm out doing flips and I've got people working on site and stuff. That could be a different liability. We could continue to keep going down this road. You we can tell I could, all day long. <laughs> we could keep going. I could keep throwing more and more at you. So I really appreciate this, Lee. And I just want to remind everybody, LegalEase.com. Take advantage of the mini course there. So LegalEase.com. The, the mini course teaches you this LLC stuff in depth, okay? Is there any cost to that, Lee? No, no, it's free. Okay, awesome. I appreciate you giving that out. The cost is just right. Yeah, the cost is just right, especially for us penny-pinching entrepreneurs. So you can put that up on the screen for us, can you, Jack? Yeah, I will definitely add that when it go when we release this. Lee, before I let you go, though, I'd like to ask you some rapid-fire questions, if you don't mind. Okay. So you've already busted quite a bit of legal aspects of the but what is one real estate investing myth you'd like to bust here today? I think the myth would be anonymity. You bring that up now. It's been eye-opening. You got, I know you. this is probably your job, but you freak out, You probably freaked out most of the audience. Anonymity, there's nothing wrong with it. Do it. Do as good a job as you can, but it's not a substitute for asset protection. What book do you recommend everybody checking out, or what are you reading? Jack, this is a thorny subject with me. Oh, why is that? I can't read. You can't read. Yes, I have a law degree and everything else. I was Horace. They just knew this could, kid couldn't read. I couldn't read a word until I was in sixth grade. I'm very dyslexic. And that doesn't mean I'm stupid. Dyslexic people are usually pretty smart. But it is very painful for me to read. I'm reading the $100 million offer right now. That's the only one I'm reading. Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that with me. Like, we have people in my family that are in a similar situation and let's, they found their way to Audible and some other things to make up for it. But it's, Everybody says, how did you make it through law school? And my answer is, I'm pretty smart. And I, my statement is, if I could read, I would be dangerous. So what is your biggest real estate investing or business mistake you've made and what did you learn from it? My biggest mistake I've made is one, plan the stock market. And two, I've got a, I've dealt with a lot of bad people over the years and I've come up with a credo and it is, I don't care what I'm doing, Jack, it's who I'm doing it with. That's a good one. Just check out your people that you're dealing with. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Ooh, buy real estate and wait. Don't wait to buy real estate. No, that's always a good one. And then if you. I didn't buy my real estate. I was playing the stock market. My wife finally said, Lee, you're an idiot. I'm buying real estate. So she went out and bought the real estate. My only regret is she didn't buy more real estate. <laughs> yeah, I, I always get that is one of the two question, answers I typically get is that they wish they bought more 
and uh, or that they should have started sooner. If you could now, I'm going to ask you for a tip for everybody. Some a tip that you can give us in under 60 seconds that everybody once they listen to this, they can when they hit pause on this podcast, they can implement to their business right away. What is that one tip? The tip is to make sure that your business and your real estate are structured as partnerships or subchapter S's because I'm scared to death of the IRS. I believe that they are actually weaponizing the IRS against us. They have 87,000 brand new shiny IRS agents coming online. You can go look, they're hiring them. And compare that to the 76,000 agents that we currently, they're more than doubling that number of agents. And they're going to come after the middle class big time. So use the subchapter S, use the partnership that will cut your chances of a tax audit substantially and make sure that you, you figure out the tax aspects. I got news for you, Jack, and maybe nobody's ever really pointed this out to you. People get rich in real estate because it's a tax shelter. Yeah, I know that it, it appreciates and the renter pays the mortgage and blah, blah, blah. But real estate is your biggest tax shelter. We need to do another session and we need to go into real estate and using real estate as a tax shelter. It's cool. Yeah, I would love that. In fact, on the next, next time you come on, I'd love your, your insight regarding what you think of trusts and a few of those other strategies. I've as well. done trusts for a long time. In fact, I've got bucks out on trusts and taught a lot of lawyers how to do trusts. Big conventions. I've talked about trusts. You know, in, in, a, in just a quick moment, do you think there's a lot of value in trusts when they're used right? There is a lot of value in trusts. The trust you're going to use is the living revocable trust. You're doing it for estate planning. You're doing it to avoid probate. There is no asset protection in trusts. Having said that, I can set up what's called an asset protection trust. A number of states allow you to do that. We can get into that. I can set up an irrevocable trust and put property into it. But you have to understand when you put property into that irrevocable trust, it isn't yours anymore. You can't get a benefit. It's gone. For tax purposes, you gave it to the beneficiaries of that trust. The land trust, the revocable trust, if it has the word revocable in it, there is zero asset protection in it. So you have to understand that it'll give you a little bit of anonymity maybe. When I first set up my trust 40 years ago, they were new, sort of speak, and the living trust, and we printed it on our checks. And the grocery store would say, Christy, my wife would say, don't you need an ID? And that would look at it and say, no, lady, you got to trust. You must be rich. So they're tools that rich people use, but they're being sold to real estate investors under kind of a pretense that isn't there. Yeah. No, I'm glad you also pointed out the IRS agents. You're not hiring 87,000 more to go after Elon Musk. No, we're not going to have 50 IRS agents auditing every million. We're going to be auditing me and you. That's who's yeah. coming after it. I've had a lot of audits and I represent people in the federal tax court. I'm a U.S. federal tax court attorney, but it still scares me. Yeah. And I can tell well, you some cute stories, Jack, but not. Oh, me. I'm sure you're full of stories. How can you not be 40 years in the business and not have some, some amazing stories? I see a lot of stuff. 
Well, Lee, is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here today? I think we did okay, Jack. Yeah, I, this was an eye-opener, Lee. I really appreciate it. You're welcome back anytime. I hope you'll take me up on that. Again, um, it's legalese.com slash minicourse. And can't thank you enough, Lee. This was great. All I need is an invite, Jack. You're going to get it. Okay, good. <laughs> we will catch you later then. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.